Thanks for listening today to In 16 Years. I'm Amy, and this is a podcast where I talk about what I've learned in 16 years of living with stage 4 endo, severe IBS, fibromyalgia, and interstitial cystitis. My name is Brittany, and I live with celiac disease, anxiety, and my own hormonal fun. We hope this show will inspire you, empower you, and help you feel supported on your own health journey. Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Hi, everyone. Before we start today's episode, Brittany and I wanted to jump in from the future. As in, we are stating this brief message right now after having recorded and aired this episode to say that back when we originally recorded this episode in March of 2019, we were not aware that not everyone who has endometriosis or uterus or a menstrual cycle identifies as a woman. Since the recording of this episode, we have learned that people of all gender identities can menstruate. That is why we wanted to put this message at the beginning. Because during this episode, we talk about the shame we can experience as people who have periods, uteruses, and endometriosis. However, in this episode, unfortunately our language refers exclusively to women. Instead of using inclusive language such as people with uteruses, people with periods, or menstruators. While listening to today's episode, if you don't identify as a woman in the places where we use this language, We do want to clarify now that we acknowledge and we welcome you. We believe it's important to have a safe and inclusive space when talking about endometriosis, menstruation, and our bodies because things like the pain of endo, bleeding, or feeling shame for carrying a menstrual product to the toilet are experiences that are common to all of us. Amy and I have been actively learning about how endo and menstruation affect people of all gender identities and expressions and we've shifted to inclusive language in our more recent episodes. So to all of our listeners, to all people who menstruate, and all people with endometriosis, whether non-binary, transgender, gender diverse, female, male, and every and any way you identify, we welcome you. We also want to clarify that endometriosis is not a menstrual disease, but rather it's a full-body disease that's characterized by systemic inflammation. Many people with endometriosis no longer menstruate due to menopause or due to hysterectomy, or they may never have menstruated at all. In this episode, we focus on the experience of menstruation because I talk about my feelings after I had a really horrible endometriosis flare at my workplace on the first day of my period, and the shame that I felt around having such incapacitating pain in a public place which was also compounded by the societal shame that I felt around menstruation. For some of us with endometriosis, painful periods are some of our worst symptoms or some of our first symptoms of endometriosis. And because of the societal stigma that is attached to menstruation, it can be really hard to speak up about that symptom. And there's something else that I want to add, which is that listening back to this episode, We want to point out that we use certain terms around menstrual products 
So, for example, in the episode, we talk about sanitary products and we talk about feminine hygiene products when we're referring to pads, tampons, cups, etc. for menstruation. But since recording, we've learned that it's really just best to say menstrual products instead of saying these other two, right? So when we say something like feminine hygiene products, saying feminine is not inclusive because not all menstruators identify as women or as feminine. And then saying sanitary or hygiene products, that implies that menstruation is dirty or gross. And that continues to uphold the incorrect and dangerous stigma around menstruation. Now we will go ahead and let the original episode that was recorded back in 2019 play from the beginning. We are so happy that you are here because it is March and it is Endometriosis Awareness Month. Woohoo! And we are here to make some noise. <laughs> about, we make a lot of noise. <laughs> about endo. Well, part of what prevents us from sharing about endometriosis and our feelings, everything surrounding it, or even telling others that we have endometriosis is shame. So today we want to talk about the concept of shame in relation to being a woman and to being a woman who suffers with this illness. So we thought first, before we went into the psychological, cultural, sociological, societal. Ooh, yes. <laughs> That's the one. All of these ideas of where shame come from, why we feel it, what we can do to try to stop feeling so much shame and humiliation for having a period, for having endometriosis. So we thought it'd be really good to share the endo horror story that happened to me at work, which now does not feel so shameful and mortifying to me. But in that moment, I literally, I felt so mortified and so much shame. Like if I felt like my world was falling apart. So I can vouch for that. <laughs> so we're going to get right into that. Now, Amy's going to set the scene like the true scary movie that this actually is. It was 2 p.m. on a Monday. Cue lightning crash. Of all days. <laughs> it had to be a Monday. <laughs> Cue thunder and lightning. <laughs> Symbols. <laughs> I was at work and I was answering emails. And I was on day 28 of my cycle and typically, if I follow all of the bazillion rules that we talked about in the last podcast episode, then the stars align <laughs> and my period would come on day 28. I was trying my best to stay calm. And then suddenly, you know when you feel the first signs of your period coming? Like for me, my back, I just feel my back stiffen. And you probably identify with this, but instantly I was filled with fear. I literally had just a few minutes until the cramp set in. Like, first the back stiffens, then the sledgehammer comes out, and then I get bludgeoned. So at the time, I still took a prescription anti-inflammatory painkiller that really helped with the pain, but it took about 45 minutes to kick in. I used to beat the pain, but over the years, the anti-inflammatory pills, although they worked wonders, they had a lot of gastrointestinal side effects for me, so it came to the point where I could only take the pill when my period was just about to start. And then a few months later, like I couldn't even take the pills. So basically I was fumbling around in my desk, like, where is that pill? I have to find it right now. But just trying to stay calm because stress breeds pain. <laughs> must stay calm, find the pill. So I found the pill and I popped it. And then I was like, I need to go to the bathroom right now. So I rushed down to the lower level bathroom because it's a bathroom that is very infrequently visited. So I rushed down there to hide in the stall. And my period came. 
So as I waited for the pill to kick in, thank God no one came in the bathroom, for about 25 minutes, you might be able to imagine the state of me. Basically, I was puking, pooping. I was changing positions. In the back and forth, back and forth. Back and forth. Your <laughs> oscillation was a head in the toilet, butt in the toilet. <laughs> Literally, I was gritting my teeth. I was moaning. I had my glasses off, like, on the floor because since I kept putting my head to, like, puke in the toilet, I was like, I can't lose my glasses. That has happened to me before, and I've had to fish them out of puke, in, but in my own personal toilet. So yeah. it, didn't, it was gross, but it didn't feel as gross as if it happened, like, at a work in toilet. In a public toilet. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, God. <laughs> throw them away. <laughs> I will have to say, had someone come in the bathroom, I would have been incapable of, I mean, when you come in, you can, you'd be able to see because it's not like the stall goes all the way to the floor. So you'd be able to see that there's basically a girl. And also I had like my, like I wasn't like pulling my pants up because I had to keep going from puking to pooping like so quickly. So I had like my pants off in the stall in my glasses next what to them. What a pretty sight. <laughs> you would see this girl like. You would see, like, my naked like, Butt bottom <laughs> crouching. Like, you'd hear me puking, and I'd be sobbing and, like... Scream puking. <laughs> oh, my God. What a vision. <laughs> you know what? We joke about it, but I was so terrified. I was so scared that someone was going to come into the bathroom, and they were going to see me like that. And they were probably going to... I mean, they were going to freak out, right? They were like, what, what is happening? Like, what... Are you okay? Is there Call 911. Yeah. And of course, I don't want them to call 911. I don't want them to leave the bathroom. I don't want them to say, oh my gosh, I saw Amy in the bathroom and she was really sick and they'll make a scene and maybe they'll get like someone of higher management who, you know, not to tell on me, but to, to, to get help because it's like, then this spreads. More people know. Everybody's finding out. Yeah, that's terrifying. I was scared. So imagine I'm in there. I'm clutching my abdomen. I'm hunched over snot is dripping down my face okay because you know when you're just crying and you're puking I was like sweating so bad like stinking but I think there were like sweat puddles like under my armpits I mean the intensity of that pain is so it's just so desperate and it's just so it was awful and I soon came to the conclusion that I needed help right like I needed help to get home I needed to get to my bed I needed to get to my eating pad <laughs> The blessed heating pad. Have the heating pad. (laughs) And I also needed to get to privacy. I needed safety. Yeah. I needed to I needed to get to a place where I felt safe. And you might be thinking, well, you were safe and like, yeah, there's no physical danger, but (laughs) that's not the only danger. (laughs) Not just physical. It's not it's like this the what would you say, like cultural or not societal danger, but this yeah, there is. There's a judgment that you can be scared of gossip and people talking about what they may have seen or heard. Well, imagine you're at work. You're supposed to be professional. We're at work. You're supposed to give off this specific aesthetic. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm playing a role at work of this professional young adult. And here I'm in the bathroom on my hands and knees, puking in the toilet with my pants and a little bundle next to me. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's completely not what you expect to display at work or what people expect to see at work. So I decide I need to get out of there. The first step to getting out of the bathroom is, well, trying to pull yourself together slightly. (laughs) sounds like a lot of steps. Thinking that you're done puking, because you can't go if you're not done puking and pooping. I mean, you know, let's get real. Like, you have to... Am I done? Oh, no, just kidding. Am I done now? Oh, no, just kidding. (laughs) I'm going to try to leave. No, I'm not. (laughs) I can see that happening. 
Okay, so after about 30 minutes, I was like, okay, like, I think I can manage this. Like, I can get out of here. And now Amy begins her escape to safety. You know, it felt like that, okay? I got out into the hallway and I thought, okay, there's an office like around the corner. It's the building manager's office and I'm going to get there and I'm going to use that phone and I'm going to call Brittany and I'm going to get her down here to help me because I did not have my personal phone on me and I didn't know what else to do. And my own cubicle was one floor up. It was Mount Everest away. It was in endometriosis. It terms. was it was impossible. I mean, already just to go, I probably literally went like what, like twenty feet. I yeah, I did that twenty feet, hunched over, falling again, like using the wall to like push myself along. No one was in the. I couldn't. I couldn't believe it. Like miracle no one. after miracle. There's like a hundred people in our office, but this the lower level. Like people don't go there. Like it's just it's mostly conference rooms and then the building manager's office, which is what I was trying to get to. And he's usually in his office and I made it to his office and I was like, fine, he's a really nice guy. Like if he's in there, I'm just going to be like, I need help. And he was not in there. The office was dark. Another miracle. And his phone, it says like what you're doing in the extension. And the phone said, gone home, which means you did not come into work today. And I was like, huh? I like had a breakdown. I started sobbing. I was just like, thank you, God. Like. I cannot believe that no one saw me, like, the great exodus of the girl, like, hunched over, snot dripping down her face, <laughs> and, and no one saw me. It felt like a miracle. So basically, I just, like, lay down on the floor next to these boxes, and, and I was like, okay, I'll, I'm just waiting for the pill to kick in. Maybe there's another, I don't know, 20 minutes or something, and, I mean, you know, with pain like this, 20 minutes... 20 years. <laughs> yeah, that's an, an eternity. Inter- that's, yeah. I mean, time loses, you lose all concept of time. Like, just to even be in pain like that, like seconds turn into hours and you're, you're just, you're literally just trying to endure and get through. And it's so much worse when I'm in public because I don't have this freedom. Like, when I'm at home, I have this freedom to moan and cry and pace and like run in the toilet and just, Whatever my body needs to do to get through that pain, like I can do that when I'm at home because I'm in this privacy where where no one can see me. But when I'm in public, it's like you have to execute this level of control. You know, like you you have to not only you have to get through the pain, which is the hardest thing that I do every single month. It's maybe the hardest thing that some of you listening do every single month, but I have to do it quietly. Because if I made a lot of noise, they would call 911. And I don't want them to call 911 because I don't <laughs> want to go to the all ER. all the time. Don't call 911. <laughs> Stop calling 911. I don't want to pay I'm for it. Ferry and don't I don't want to pay for ambulance it. ambulance is expensive. <laughs> <laughs> they don't do anything for me anyway. They know nothing. <laughs> so guess what? I passed out on the floor. More like blacked out. Are you kidding me? I don't know. <laughs> Somehow I woke up like two hours had gone by. The little phone thing. It was like 424. And I was like, oh. Where am I? What year is it? (laughs) I've been away from my desk for like two and a half hours, but I was really confused because also the painkiller is like pretty strong and then you've just been like puking and now you're already dehydrated and you're like a ton of pain. So you're like, (gasps) I was so groggy. Like I felt like I just woke up after like a 30 year long nap and all I wanted to do was go home. Desperately, desperately I wanted to go home, but I was trapped in that office. My bag was upstairs. 
years away in terms of walking. Like, I'm never going to get there. There's no way I could drive right now. There's no way I can even stand up straight right now. How am I going to get home? How? (laughs) How are you going to get home? What do I do? You call me. (laughs) You call Brittany. Your friendly neighborhood Brittany hero. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. What did I do before I had a Brittany to call? Died. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I'd be like, I'd just stay in the bathroom for like, the whole building would just shut down. No one would have a clue that I was in, like, it'd be like 10 p.m. at night and I would still be in that Like, I slept over thing. here. Like, <laughs> I'd be the first one there in the didn't morning. Didn't you wear that yesterday? They'd be like, wow, you look like you didn't sleep at all. And there's like a shoe mark on your face. That- <laughs> there's some puke on your shirt. Oh, God. <laughs> And it just sounds fine. I had a really rough night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I had a really comfortable stay next to the box in the garbage can. <laughs> 10 out of 10 would rent there again. So, yes, I called Brittany. Side note, we weren't really friends yet at that point. No. I literally <laughs> Not like now. <laughs> literally, we'd only known each other for just a couple of months. But I already knew that Brittany was someone that I could trust and rely on. <laughs> She's like, I'm a keeper. I'm a snagger. I'm a trainer. My single greatest life achievement, so I am at her beck and call. (laughs) No, we had just really become friends, and I dropped everything. So I ran down the stairs, and I busted open the door. That makes me sound way cooler than I am. (laughs) You kicked. I kicked kicked open the door. (laughs) No. I quickly ran down the stairs, careful to not fall on my face, because I'm kind of clumsy on stairs. (laughs) How would you help me? (laughs) I'm like, where is Brittany? (laughs) She fell and broke her neck. I hear the ambulance coming. I'm like, but Brittany, I said not to call 911. You're like, well, the ambulance for Brittany. (laughs) She fell and broke her leg. (laughs) No, I was very careful. What a hell Brittany is. My God. All right. Well, if she's going to the hospital, then you have to stick me. I'm not going to waste my friendship on her. Stick me in the ambulance, too. She's paying for it. Just double bunk us. I'll be fine. (laughs) So I came downstairs, not falling, not breaking anything. And then the door was locked. So I had to. Figure out a way to unlock the door, which I did successfully. Makes me sound also cooler than I am. And then, I don't remember locking it, but apparently I was you did. terrified that someone obviously would come in and they'd see me sleeping next to a garbage can. Well, I walked in and I was like, oh, I don't know what's going on, but I'm here. And there's a crumpled pile of sad writhing clothing in the corner. It's moving. I don't know. It smells kind of like vomit kind of like diarrhea kind of like blood i mean there's a weird smell i mean (laughs) then a squirrel (laughs) popped out from underneath there There was like a chipmunk that ran across the room i don't i don't know what was going on so i left her there next to the garbage cans in the boxes she abandoned me she She was was like like, what is this we're gonna call her be involved in this work shame we're gonna call her garbage rella from now on (laughs) i left garbage rella by the garbage And I ran upstairs to get Garbage Rella's belongings. I ran to my car, brought my car around to like the closest door. And then I went back into Garbage Rella's kingdom and I <laughs> helped pick her up and like literally do, do the slowest shuffle, which I am familiar with. So I wasn't surprised, but like, Lord, <laughs> it was the slowest shuffle. And while we were driving, Roll down her little automatic windows. And then I just like stuck my head out and puked. It was so glamorous. And it was like, okay, guess I got to get a car wash. Pull over. <laughs> she like, I'm just like puking in the car, like out the window. I live really close to work. So after like 10 minutes, we were there. And then she helped me up the stairs. And then we got in the house. And 
she was like, are you okay? Or like, are you going to be okay? And I just wanted, I just wanted to get rid of her. I mean, not because I wasn't thankful, because I just, I was so mortified. Like I was like, I just have to be alone. Like get away from me. And, but I was just, you know, I was so grateful, but it was just like, please go away so I can just basically like die under the covers now of how mortified I am. But I tucked you in, I put your heating pad on, I did all the things, and then I was like, okay, are you going to be okay? And you're like, uh-huh. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to go now. <laughs> like, you look okay Awkward. now. Awkward. Uh, do, I, do I leave Do her? I stay? Does do she I, want me to leave? What do I do? We weren't at that point where I had been like, all right, so I'm going to sit over here. <laughs> I'm now going to knit a blanket that I'm going to I'm going to color while you do that. Um, if you need a bucket, I'll get you one. <laughs> We weren't there yet. We were new friends. But yes, I got her all settled and she said, I'll be okay. I'm always okay. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go cry now. And then, <laughs> oh my left. God, that's what I did when you left. As soon as we were crying together as soon apart. As you left, I just pulled the covers over my head. I was like, what just happened? And then I could not stop texting Brittany like, oh, it was bad. Did anyone see us? And Brittany's Are you like, sure nobody saw Brittany's us? Brittany's like, are you okay? I was like, I'm fine. Did anyone see us? And she's like, no. I was like, are you sure? What about when we got in the car? No, no one saw us. I know, but did anyone notice I wasn't at my desk? Did anybody say anything? So many questions about did anybody know that Did anyone notice I left early? Are you sure no one saw us? What about when we pulled over to throw up? (laughs) Yes, our boss was behind us when he puked out the window. Our coworker was actually, he saw us and he decided to follow me. He was trailing us at the time. <laughs> you got some splatter on his windshield. He's not too happy about it. You're going to have to pay for a car wash. <laughs> you know, even though we joke about it now, I mean, that's kind of what we do in our friendship is we take a bad situation and we try to make it okay and process through it. But even though we joke about it now, at the time, it was incredibly traumatizing. It was very serious. I mean, very, very <laughs> serious. I mean, specifically traumatizing for you. I mean, I remember so vividly the experience because it was the first time that I had to see somebody else like that. And it was the first time that I really engaged in that way. And so engaged I was, with endometriosis. Oh, what an engagement. I was not prepared. Not prepared at for all. For what I said. <laughs> for the trauma and the horrifying view. But you got home, you were like, why didn't I call 911? If she dies, it's my fault. <laughs> well, she, she said she was okay, but was she really was okay? She lying to Is me? this normal? I mean, are we sure she didn't have some internal damage? She was texting me in her shame-fueled fury, so it was fine. <laughs> but, but I did, you know, think in that day and as I, I processed what I experienced. And then looking back on it now, how that trauma happens to people with endo constantly, frequently, monthly. And it's something that you live with, you deal with, and you have to get up and continue going. It is such an indelible mark that that trauma leaves on you every single time it happens that it's so incredible that a person who has to handle that can continue to move forward knowing that it's going to happen again. For me, in processing, understanding that and developing a friendship with Amy, I had to really understand that there's really no strength quite like that. Yeah, right. You were like, 
this mess. <laughs> I'm not going to be friends with this mess. You were like, let me evaluate deeply. <laughs> if Amy and I become friends, things like that could continue to happen. Do I want to deal with that? Um, Amy, is this like a one-off? In- like, what happened here? Was this like a one-off? I'm like, well, if you mean one-off a month, then, then yeah. Then so, yeah. Most of the time. It was a one-off for the month of February, and then there'll be a one-off in the month of March. Then- <laughs> They're each one-offs in their month. Well, jokes aside, Brittany, what you said is really beautiful. And I just thank you for always saying such positive and encouraging things to me and to the women with endo in this community. I do think that we're really strong. But in in that moment, like, I did not feel strong. I felt so weak. And I feel like it's just, I feel like it comes from these ideas of we hear over and over, like, survival of the fittest and you know you have to be the best and we're in this doggy dog world and it's this don't show your weakness yeah this competitive edge and you have to always be on top of it and on your a game and put together and especially when you know if you're at work for example i mean that's when you have to be professional and it's very hard to have moments like that out in public because i don't feel like a passerby who sees this situation in public, I don't think when they're watching me, maybe I'm hunched over, writhing on the floor, throwing up, moaning, like they're not thinking, oh, wow, this girl is really strong. They're thinking, what is wrong with this girl? Like, that's disgusting. What is going dramatic? Yeah. yeah. Oh, really? It hurts that bad. They're, it's all negative. Yeah. And then so from there, it's this really deep, deep sense of shame when I have moments like that. It feels absolutely mortifying to think that I'm under the scrutiny or the mocking critical eye of a stranger or a passerby. So the sense of shame is something really curious and something that we're going to unpack here because I think it's something that all who have experienced the pain of endometriosis can relate to. Because shame is so multi-layered. There's the societal constraint of shame, the cultural, the familial, personal. Like there's so many different ways that shame can hit you and affect you. But I think it's really interesting that shame in and of itself, the words that are by definition tied with shame are things like foolish behavior or self-actions, your own shortcomings or you know something that is of your own mistake. Which is kind of interesting because none of those things apply to a situation like this one. However, that doesn't stop the shame from rearing its ugly head. Intellectually, I understand what you're saying. I get that being in so much pain that you're moaning and writhing and kind of, quote unquote, making a scene in public is is not my shortcoming. But why does it feel like one then? And if I had to think about it, I don't know. I feel like it's all of these years of conditioning. For most of us with endo, we get sick when we're really young. Like I got sick in high school and there are people who started having endometriosis symptoms when they're 10, 12, 14 years old. Really, really young. When you're young, I mean, we, like already being in middle school and high school is it's really oh, so hard. embarrassing <laughs> and shameful. There's so much already going into that. <laughs> yeah, it's already really hard. It's already like so easy to get made fun of. Like you just feel humiliation and you shame. You feel terrible all the time. <laughs> all the time. And you really have an age, I feel like, where, you know, at that age, you really want to fit in. And when you get sick when you're young, like people are not in the mindset of being ill. 
people have very different priorities. So I don't know. I just I have all these like I have all these memories, right? Like I remember being on vacation. I was like 22 years old. We were out of college. I was living on my own with my friends, and we went away on vacation, and we were going to go to this concert. And like I got my period out of the blue. I had a flare, and we they had to help me leave the restaurant, get in a taxi, get back to the hotel, and because of that, they missed the beginning of the concert. I was like, just leave me. I'm fine. Just leave me at the hotel. Thank you for getting me here. Just go to the concert. And they went off to the concert. But later, I had to hear about how I made them late for the concert. Like, they could have gone to the concert, but they missed the being in the concert because they had to help me. And they were not bad people. Like, they, they were not terrible people. It's just we were really young. It's like a different mindset. We were like on vacation, ready to party. And then suddenly our friend gets like super duper sick. And I'm like, what's going on? No one is wanting to deal with this situation right now. And props to them for not abandoning me because I mean, some people, they go out with their friends and their friends would just abandon them and just be like, oh, we're going to the concert, like figure it out yourself, you know? So it's very hard. And I think it's just over and over feeling rejected or over and over feeling cast out or over and over just feeling like I'm not good enough or like I'm causing these situations and and being made to feel embarrassed by my sickness. So Brittany, you say that it's not our shortcomings or our foolish behavior or our flaws or something that it's not something that like we did. And yet I feel like inadvertently and probably without meaning to People made me feel like I was less than for being sick. Friends, family members, doctors, you know, when you go to the doctor and they would just brush off my pain. Different doctors brushed off my pain for years saying it was hypochondria or anxiety or it just really wasn't that bad. And that makes you doubt yourself. So if there's nothing wrong with me, quote unquote, according to all these doctors, then then I shouldn't feel this much pain. So maybe it is my own shortcoming. I don't know. It's just it. And then it's that whole like role you get in, like you get sick and look, you had to come like you had to come down to the office to rescue me and you were happy to do it. But there are times when I need rescuing when people aren't people are not happy to do it. And it's just it's it's being so vulnerable and needing that help. And then doctors, friends, family, teachers, strangers, dismissing me, rejecting me, like making fun of me. It happens so much, then it makes you want to hide it, right? Like it makes you think, okay, this is something that has to be hidden. In addition to having different mindsets when you're younger and not expecting to have to deal with these things, we also have an added layer of social stigma of just being a woman. We have this concept of TMI, too much information. Oh, I love TMI. Are you kidding Mm -hmm. me? Well, we love TMI because we deal with TMI all the time. <laughs> but to most people, this whole podcast is TMI. <laughs> this whole podcast is our and the giant other TMI. night I was pooping and puking. <laughs> <laughs> TMI, Amy. No, but seriously, that concept of TMI is like super damaging because when we think about the things that many people, especially men, consider to be TMI, they are typically female words that refer to people who have 
uteruses. Ooh, TMI, Brittany. Gross. Or periods. Oh, nasty. You're just escalating here. Or menstruation. Oh, God. Even when you say the <laughs> clinical term, it just knifes at my heart. Oh. But typically when we say those words to people, we are met with, oh, TMI. I don't want to hear about that. Ooh, TMI. Before you can even finish your sentence. So I find it funny that we can joke about urination and defecation, but oh, God yeah. forbid we joke about menstruation. Hello. I don't know if you ever went to biology class or maybe you read that book when you were like a little kid. It was like, where do babies come from? Menstruating. This is called life. <laughs> is the origin of life. Okay, it's the system of bodies that allows them to bring new lives into this world. So everyone worldwide doesn't want to hear about menstruating. I want them to know, newsflash, they were brought into this world because their mother could menstruate. It's not disgusting and it's not shameful. It's the building blocks of humanity. It's a power. The ability and power to create life is this incredible power that women have. Well, that's probably what makes it scary. I, well, yeah. I mean, I think as anybody who is a woman living in this world, we know that having this power is intimidating to other groups of people. Um, <laughs> Are you referring men? to men? <laughs> Darn it. I'm trying to be impartial, but <laughs> but I think that really it's not understood. And that's what makes it confusing and scary. But it's great that we're talking about our periods more as a society. And I see so much more conversation about experiencing periods and blood of periods and all these like really great ways that we are discussing what happens to our bodies during our periods. And I think it's really great because periods historically used to be thought of as this impure, disgusting, dirty, shameful thing. Instead of, which is what you said, as this beautiful, miraculous, life-giving gift that we have. Well, I wonder if that comes from, like you said, the, the misunderstanding of this power that women have. So maybe, you know, a thousand years ago, like even really 200 years ago, I mean, so science is, it just keeps developing. So probably society didn't really understand what a period was. Like they didn't know that your uterus is shedding the lining. Oh my God, I'm about to explain a beard, but do I do I know what a period is? Do we know what a period is? <laughs> if I get these facts You're, wrong, don't judge me right gonna now. We're going to be really in trouble. Your uterine lining is shed when there is no implantation of oh. a fertilized egg. Oh my, wow. <laughs> well, I definitely bet that 500 years ago, I'm not sure if- Nobody knew what that they was. Knew if, because- they, they used to think your uterus moved around in your body. Like, that's where we're coming from. So I think we've come a real long way to thinking our wombs just like one day was in our like left pinky and then the next day it was in our knee. Like, I think we've come a long way in 200 years. I did years. see my left pinky looking quite swollen the other day. And my abdominal comedy was feeling a little bit empty. Mm, your womb must have traveled. Yeah. It moves in relation to the moon. Anyway, so, but yeah, you're right. It is a totally historical stigma that I think has stuck with us. I mean, when you think about certain periods in history or certain cultures, one comes to mind to me, which is thousands of years ago, women actually were separated from the rest of their society and made to bleed in tents or huts alone because they couldn't touch men. They couldn't touch children. They couldn't touch food. 
because they believed they would contaminate them and make them unclean. And that was what they had to endure was being banished outside of their society until their period was done. What's really unfortunate is that a lot of these practices still continue in the world today. I mean, it's March right now, and I read an article in January that a 21-year-old woman died in Nepal from smoke inhalation after she lit a fire to keep her warm in the winter because she was in a menstruating hut. And there are some regions in Nepal where women are made to sleep in huts, and they might be made of stone or wood, but they're basically meant to sleep outside away from their family when they're menstruating. And this is heartbreaking, and this is a tragedy that did not need to happen. We need better education worldwide, and we need better acceptance of menstruation so that these kind of preventable tragedies don't happen. Menstruating is a natural process. And as we said, it's the human cycle. It's not something unlucky. It's not something impure. It's something that needs to be revered. I couldn't agree more. I'm very agreeable. Honestly, I <laughs> so agree. Thank you, Brittany. 100%. Everyone should agree with me all the time. I think all of our listeners 100% agree. <laughs> but I think also women worldwide need better access to feminine care products and feminine care at all. When we think about how many parts of the world don't have access to the what men consider luxury items of tampons and pads, we'll not get into the fact that I think it's ridiculous that they're taxed, but they don't have those even. They use rags or they have to use some form of grasses or reeds in order to be able to absorb their period blood. I remember once when I was traveling in a pretty rural area in Asia, and of course, my period came suddenly. I'm sensing a trend. <laughs> when it wasn't supposed to come. Yeah, that seems to happen a lot. <laughs> it was just supposed to be a short trip, so I didn't have any pads or tampons or anything because it wasn't supposed to come for like another 10 days, and I was already supposed to be back home by then. And I couldn't find any sanitary napkins or any, I mean, tampons or like, I'm sorry, tampons barely exist outside of like the U.S. And even in Europe, they sometimes just only have those little like OB. Do you know what I'm talking about? They look like little. Yeah, the little bullet size ones. I was going to say yeah, they, look yeah, like they, look like bullets. they look like bullets. And you're, and you're like, first of all, what what is this going to absorb? <laughs> and I definitely cannot get my super plus size <laughs> tampon. <laughs> that sounds so American. My super, super double XL super plus size. <laughs> well, not many people wear that size. but <laughs> But. Necessary. But sometimes it, it's necessary to. for some of us, for some people, <laughs> for us heavy bleeders. <laughs> but I remember my period came and there was nothing. And I actually ended up using socks in my underwear. And then when I went through my socks, okay, which first of all, those, okay, okay, let's talk about that for a minute. Socks do not absorb blood very well. Well, maybe because that's not their intended purpose. <laughs> But you'd think they'd absorb something. They keep your feet warm. I'll give you that, depending on what kind of sock they are. Well, when you step in a puddle, they sure seem to absorb that really well. (laughs) I ended up getting blood stains all over my pants. It was messy. And then when my socks ran out, how many pairs? Okay, first of all, then I had no socks to wear. And second of all, I can only wear, like, I only had three sets of socks. So 
and I had to put in two at a time because they're like these thin summery socks. So after, I don't know, a couple of hours, I was out of socks. Then I was asking the people I was traveling with, um, could I borrow your socks? Because where are you going to wash your bloody, (laughs) your menstrually bloody socks when you're in this really rural area? And then that made me think about all these people worldwide who, what do the people do who live in this rural area of Asia that I was in? Like, what did they use when their periods come? And it made me think about all these people worldwide who just, who don't have access to sanitary products. I don't know what, and you know, in, in some prisons, they don't have access or in refugee camps or displaced people or just really rural communities or low-income communities or homeless communities like what are what are they all doing when their periods come and that's devastating to me that this is something that comes it's so natural and everywhere you go you there's toilet paper but not everywhere you go are there sanitary products yeah you really take it for granted until you think about the fact that just going down to the store and grabbing a thing of pads or tampons is not everyday life for the majority. And then sometimes we do it with such shame, right? We go to the supermarket and you we hide and, it down in your cart, you put it by your side. <laughs> yeah. And you're and you're getting your tampons or whatever. There's always that scene in the movie where the woman is in the supermarket, whatever her coworker, her high school sweetheart shows up. And then she's about to buy like tampons or pads or something. And then he, <laughs> and he shows, shows up <laughs> and she's like, mortified yeah or she like shoves them on the shelf really quickly god forbid you know i have a vagina or she like (laughs) or a uterus and and it's just and then she's mortified when she's found out yeah it's like no you know what i'm gonna buy my i buy your sanitary products with pride because we have access to things that not everyone in the world has access to and i want to really give a shout out to some of these groups that i've seen these organizations that are giving out sanitary supplies to people who don't normally have access, whether it be to refugees or in schools or in low-income areas. And I love that they call, you know, some of these groups are called Project Dignity. And some of them, when they give out the packs, they call them Dignity Packs. And I love that because what is the opposite of shame? Dignity. Yes! I think it's so incredible and so wonderful to hear about what different people around the world are doing to help create access to basic dignity needs. But unfortunately, I think we still have a really long way to go towards breaking the shame and stigma that completely surrounds women, their experience, and their bodies. I think that the fight truly is a completely global fight. It's not just in the U.S. It's not just in whatever country you're listening from. It's the whole world, but it's also an individual fight. The individual part comes from releasing yourself from feeling shame about having a period, about having a feminine body, having a female reproductive system. Those are not things to feel shame for or feel disgust for. And oh, and as I mentioned before about the unfair luxury tax on feminine products in the U.S., Did you know that 39 states still have this tax on products? So other medical products are tax exempt, actually. Medical and health products like some shampoos and creams and those kinds of things are actually. Yeah, they have no tax on them because they are medical necessity. Ooh. You know what else is a necessity? 
my pads and tampons. Ooh. But the US government doesn't agree. I don't know. Compared with keeping my hair clean. You know, that Viagra is really important for medical need. (laughs) But the ability to stop my blood from bleeding out into my office chair, not so important. Ironic. But that tax isn't everywhere. Like Canada and Australia, they abolish that tax. Like, go you guys. Everyone else, get on the program, please. U.S. get on board. Come on. Oh, and you know what I saw recently that was so moving to me over the new year? This article and this photo of, so basically it was a 385 mile, 385 mile wall of women standing shoulder to shoulder in India organized by these women's groups, and they estimate that there was anywhere from 3.5 to 5 million women standing shoulder to shoulder, like at the same, I mean, can you imagine that, first of all, the level of organization and- Well, only women be able to organize like that. (laughs) (laughs) But the campaign and the organization to get these women to be able to come out at the same time to make this three, I'm sorry- I'm just going to say 385 mile wall. Sometimes you just want people to line up for a photo. And you, <laughs> right? you have like you have 10 of them. Never mind. Five you know, million you're of like, them. OK, get five people in the front, tall people in the back. Shorter That's people. hard enough. And you're like, oh, everyone smile at the same time. Oh, impossible. Oh, gosh. And they managed to organize. These women organized themselves into 385 mile long. This is called the Wall of Women. When I saw the photo, I'm, I'm going to have to say, like, I was move to tears we encounter these things when we're trying so hard to fight for just basic equality in people's eyes these such huge things especially in places like india it's such a huge stand that stand meant so much not just to them but to everybody in the world and you're making a statement against gender discrimination also a kind of protest against uh, a it's a more involved story, but basically there was a religious ban that didn't allow women to enter a certain temple, a Hindu temple in India. And so this this women's wall, I mean, I think it, it stood for a lot of things. And I read some of the articles where they interviewed these women. And, you know, why did they want to be in the women's wall? And this kept coming up, this idea of like, we're women and this gender equality. And it's so moving. Like, it's so... We are so powerful as women, and it's time that we start screaming that from the rooftops and just letting it be known and feeling that inside ourselves. Because ultimately, as we're always told, change in the world starts on ourselves. (laughs) Well, exactly. And that tells us the answer to the question of, well, what can we do? We can talk about it. I know, like, when we talk about these big, giant, you know, what the women in India did was so amazing and took such guts. And it was such a big monumental thing. But not every time we take a step forward does it have to be so monumental. So if you feel frightened of something that seems like, well, I can't do something that intense, just talking about it starts the ball rolling in such a good direction. Talk about it with male friends, with female friends, with non-binary friends. It doesn't matter because we just have to make it normal. Having a period is normal, and it shouldn't be seen as TMI, abnormal, or something that we just pretend doesn't happen. And I think when it comes to, like, when it comes down to having endo and having a flare and something like that situation that happened to me at work, and I'm sure has happened 
to many of you where you go out and you get sick and you're in public and it's vulnerable and it's scary and it's mortifying and horrifying. And just remembering if people are looking at you or they're giving you like that judgmental look with their eyes and you feel like they're thinking, oh, you're the drama queen or, you know, you're exaggerating. You have to remember that they just don't get it. They just don't know. Sometimes I feel like part of my role as a woman with endo is educating people who don't have endo about what it's like to live with this illness. Because just because they don't get it doesn't mean that they can't get it if they just weren't maybe explained it or given the opportunity to understand. Just had a little bit of exposure to it. And I remember right before my surgery, I was at work and this coworker asked me, oh, so why are you going to be out? And I said, I'm having a surgery. And he said, oh, what's the surgery? Like so nonchalant and, you know, curious and interested. And so I said, oh, well, they found a mass on my left ovary. So they're going to remove it. And they're they're also going to remove my ovary. I'm sorry. Like, what is that one sentence about what the surgery was? Like, I didn't get all emotional. I didn't start crying. I didn't it wasn't, wasn't dramatic. You know, I literally saying my ovary is being removed. <laughs> I didn't. All you said. I didn't talk for like 10 minutes about my life story or, well, I've been like 10 hours, (laughs) you know, but, oh, I've been having these symptoms and this nausea and this pain. And no, it was literally just like they found a mass on my ovary. They're not sure if it's cancer and they're going to remove the mass and I'm going to lose my ovary with it. That's it. That's my surgery. And literally in the middle of like, as soon as I said the word ovary, his face just changed. Like, I don't know, at that point, because I was so terrified about the surgery, like, It was with the oncologist. Everything was, everything had hit the fan. This wasn't like three years ago when I had that episode in the office where I felt mortified, embarrassed. Like at this time, I was like, I have grown into my- I made her real strong now. Oh, she she really did. It's like, I have grown into my confidence. Like I am not scared and sad anymore. Like I- I am woman. Hear me roar. (laughs) (laughs) Much more fearsome than that, please. Well, you were much more fearsome than that. (laughs) Well, I was very nice, but I just told him, "Uh, I'm not sure if you realize, but the way that you just reacted, you have to think about how that makes me feel. I said that I was getting my ovary removed and you just acted like it's disgusting. Are you aware that you did that? And he got really, he got really embarrassed. Like he was like, oh, no, no. Oh, I did. I, I. I didn't, oops, no, I didn't mean to do any, no, it's okay. Like, he got so flustered, and I was like, <laughs> good, who's good. got the, who's, who's got shamed the, now? <laughs> who's got the power now? My left ovary does. <laughs> <laughs> but if that's what, what truly, like, just gets me, because oh, if you said, said it was your kidney, he wouldn't well, have cared. I, that, I was like, so if I had said, I'm getting my gallbladder removed, what would you have said? And then he just kept staring at me, and I was like, you should really think about how, The way you speak makes other people feel. Boom. And then I just walk away. (laughs) Boom, baby. I was, was, well, we didn't know what was going to happen with surgery. I was like, in two weeks, I might have cancer. I better. She she had no, you know what's left to give. Just everything was out on the table. Suddenly, I became the most confident person you'd ever met. I was like, I was wonderful. I might have two weeks left of my life. So she was just telling it like it was. And you might not, like, if you're put in a situation like that and someone is making you feel uncomfortable or embarrassed and you're like, I know this isn't right, but maybe you're not comfortable. Like, maybe that person is your boss. Probably wouldn't be like, hey, boss in charge of my paycheck. 
Well, I don't appreciate when you talk about my left ovary in that sense, because it's equal to any body part just the same as my kidney or my gallbladder. Sound very professorial. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, because I'm talking to my boss. You can't just be like, dude, back up. (laughs) Right? Treating the boss with a little bit of respect. But, you know, maybe you're not, maybe you're not comfortable or it's not the right time or it's not the right place. But I think we can always really remember and hammer home in ourselves that we should not judge ourselves based on the judgments of others. So that guy, whatever, he can judge me all he wants. Oh, TMI, her ovaries coming out. Disgusting. Fine. Be disgusted by my ovary, my shiny, beautiful, super overgrown by 12 centimeters ovary that grapefruit have an ovary (laughs) (laughs) but be disgusted by my ovary i don't care because how you feel about my ovary my uterus it's not going to affect me any longer it's easy to say it's so easy right now to say we're like in our little podcast box our microphones we're like woohoo power and then i have an endo flare and i'm out in public i'm vulnerable i'm you know i'm showing my, my vulnerable side and it's a scary thing to do but there's no shame in it And we need to be actively telling ourselves how strong we are. And, you know, Brittany and I, I feel like we preach this in every podcast just because it's so important to remember that we are so strong. And this is what we need to be talking about. It is March. It is Endometriosis Awareness Month. And we wanted to air this episode and we just wanted to talk about how we need to stop seeing our illness as a burden to others as something shameful, as something embarrassing, as something that we can't talk about for fear of being made fun of, for fear of repercussion at work. We're warriors and we need to make noise about this. We need to talk about how strong we are. And the more we talk about this, the more accepted it will be throughout society. I think the biggest goal we have as women is to just help our culture to respect us more (laughs) at the bottom line, just to give us more basic equal rights about these situations that we go through. Something that pops into my head is maternity leave or period leave. Well, I think a lot of us know what maternity leave is, but what is period leave? Well, period leave is something that exists in only a handful of countries. And it typically gives a woman one to maybe two days off around her menstrual cycle for which she can take that time off to have her period. And it's really controversial. A lot of women don't use that period leave because of the stigma that's associated with it. As we've been talking about, there's that stigma that's associated with periods and weakness. And the thought is if you have to take that leave, then you can't perform the same way. You're not as productive or you're not able to handle your period. So it's really unfortunate that our society still places that stigma on something like period leave, which exists to help alleviate that problem. So I used to teach in Japan and I actually got two days of menstrual leave in my contracts because I just had that right. And so Although it was highly controversial as a foreigner living in Japan and as a woman with endometriosis, I was like, you're giving me godsend. (laughs) You're you're giving me two days off to bleed and die next to my toilet and privacy. Heck, yeah, I'm taking that menstrual leave. So I took the menstrual leave and never batted an eyelid about it. But 
had I not had menstrual leave in that contract, honestly, I would not have been able to hold my job because I I probably would have been let go for taking time off every single month around my period. Even now in my job, I take time off at my period. Like I have FMLA put into place, which I put into place to protect myself. Luckily, my employer is flexible and they let me work from home during those days or like change my hours. And again, if they did not let me be flexible in my hours around my period, I would not be able to succeed at my job. And I'm really good at my job. And I bet a lot of us out there, we are really good. Like we are really productive. We are hardworking. Our ability to be good at our job isn't because we can go there Monday to Friday, nine to five days and hours and arbitrary times that society deemed was our working hours. How many people go to work and they just goof off at their desk or they just look at social media all day? Being good at your job has, it doesn't have to do with the actual amount of hours that you're there. It has to do with how productive you are. If you're focused, if you're not distracted, if you don't waste time, if you have integrity in your work and ethics and you just, you wanna work hard and you wanna be good at what you do. And I bet a lot of us listening, we want that. And we excel at our jobs, but with a little bit of flexibility, we can make it work. But when it's so rigid and so inflexible, well, yeah, oh, I have to be there every single day or I might get let go. Oh, my period came. Oh, you're the worst worker. Now You're not productive. I got a little wired up. <laughs> well, I mean, it's true because it, it's not about if you show up every time you're supposed to show up, it's about your work ethic. And it's about how the product that you deliver is a good product. It's not about whether or not you bleed out of a uterus. It's about how good your work is. Like, I understand that, of course, there are jobs where, like, when I was teaching, if I didn't go to class, they had to get a substitute. Or sometimes I had to just cancel class and reschedule. So there are certain things that run on a schedule like if the pilot doesn't show up to fly the plane then the plane's not going to take off like but a lot of us are working in jobs where it could be more flexible so i'm all about the period leave and i think the more we talk about issues like this and the more we show how we're showing right like we're we're showing society that we are equals and we are as smart as men possibly smarter <laughs> Depends who you ask. We've had to go through a lot to get where we are. So sometimes you pick up extra skills along the way. (laughs) But we're really showing how, how strong and how focused and how powerful we are. And even if you don't feel strong, and even if people keep putting us down, isolating us, it's really because they don't understand. But we in this community, this beautiful endo community, We understand what each other is going through. And we are just, I just can't even say enough times how ridiculously strong that you are. If you are feeling shame about your endo, we really recommend getting your story out there. This podcast has been really great for Amy and I because we've been able to share our stories with you and able to talk about the things that we experience that are really hard for us and that bring us shame. And we love hearing from you. Sometimes we get messages from you and you're sharing your story or you're letting us know that you identify with some of the stories that we share on here. And 
I'm just so happy to hear that we're not alone out there, that we're going through very similar things. And I think sharing our stories, it's so therapeutic. So if you just wanted to reach out and contact us and let us know your story, like we would love to hear that. We also heard rumor that they might be coming out with an emoji that would be perfect for period talk. It's a drop of blood. So so we'll see. We'll see if that happens. But if that's not out by the time you make it to our Instagram page, then we would absolutely love for you to use every red emoji that's in your arsenal and bleed all over our Instagram page. We would love that. (laughs) We invite you cordially (laughs) to our bleed party (laughs) to bleed all over the page in 16 years of endo. Show how strong. That's our Instagram handle. Yes. Show how strong that period blood can be. It's a wave, a tidal wave, a 12-foot tsunami wave of power. And if you want to connect with us via email, you can go to in16years.com. And then from there, you can connect with us and get our email. And we would love to hear from you. Happy March. Happy Endometriosis Awareness Month. Happy being with endo. Sounds kind of ironic, but happy being strong. We can't forget that. So we hope you enjoyed the show today. If you did, we'd love if you could leave us a review on whatever podcast app that you're listening on. And we will talk to you next time. 